2: Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life program, as you know, dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions, church questions, life questions, anything and everything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll free at 877-630-KSLR at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. It's all free and send questions to us that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. Uh, I'm a little sad today. This is, I mean, this is the last day of October, at least as it relates to the show. Tomorrow's actually the last day. But tomorrow would actually be uh, our Joy of Jesus celebration that the whole church gets so excited about the last Saturday of October every year at Travis Park, and because of the COVID restrictions, the city uh, refused to allow us a permit or or refused to allow us to do anything down there. So this is the first time in 20 years plus that uh, we're not going to be at Travis Park. Um, I would ask uh, all of you in the audience to pray for uh, the homeless population in San Antonio, and I don't just mean the general prayers, you know, Lord bless them, but um, they're missing out. Um, we do a lot. We provide medical um, checkups for them and clothing and haircuts and makeovers and food, and and um, um, they're going to miss it. And this has been a really difficult year for everybody, but it's been especially difficult for the homeless. Um, in our city, the tourists haven't been out, and it's just really, really a hard time for them, so please keep them in your prayers. The Lord loves them, and uh, um, we're going to miss being there. We we try to bless people when we're there, but the reality is it's always true that we get blessed, and um, we are really going to miss being there uh, tomorrow morning. final weekend uh, before church. So uh, actually, Sunday is a new month, isn't it? So Sunday, we start a new month. Sunday will be Communions Sunday here at Calvary Chapel on November 1st. So um, I hope and pray that your church experience this weekend is a great one. And for those of you who will also be partaking of communion, um, enjoy how much Jesus enjoys being with you. Tonight, I'm going to be teaching... Um, out of the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. Um, on Sunday, I'm going to be teaching out of 1 Corinthians. We are still in chapter 1. And uh, you can join us at CalvarySA.com tonight. Uh, we are not usually full, so you could join us here in person if you wanted to at 7 o'clock tonight. Okay, let's get to some phone calls or some questions that have been sent while we await your phone calls. This first one is from an angry listener. Um, It says, You denied that the Bible was racist while affirming slavery in an earlier question. How can you possibly deny the systemic racism of Christianity? Um, The question, and, and this is always a hot button subject, so please don't be angry, just listen for a moment. Imagine a world where the color of one's skin doesn't matter. Martin Luther King said, A time when people would be judged on the content of their character. Imagine when that's going to happen perfectly. Well, Jesus is the architect behind that very moment that we're waiting for. I denied the Bible was racist while affirming slavery because the slavery in your New Testament... Slavery in the Old Testament has nothing to do with race. Um, I I said this when I answered the question, I think it was Tuesday. Um, Slaves outnumbered free men in the Roman Empire by four to one. It was just a fact of life. And so when you hear Paul in particular talking about slavery, speaking to slaves. He's trying to help them. And again, it has nothing to do with black and white. Jews would enslave other Jews. It was an economic thing. But but it was also Roman citizens who enslaved those who were not Roman citizens. And that was just the way the world works, by the way, where 2,000 years since Paul wrote those words. And there's still slavery all over the world that has nothing to do with the color of someone's skin. I think, angry listener, what we do is we so westernize things that we lose sight of what God is trying to say. So not only is the Bible not racist, I also deny that there is no systemic, or that there is any systemic racism in Christianity at all. Now, there are racists who claim to be Christians, for sure. But I'd ask you to open your heart a little bit and try to understand God cares nothing about race. God cares about one thing. Are you his or are you not his? I think sometimes, without thinking, we can come really close to a crossing a line with God accusing him of things that a God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die so you could live. I mean, imagine that for a moment. God proved his love for you regardless of who you are, what race you are. He gave his only son. And here would be my plea to you. Set your anger aside for a moment and consider that Jesus loved you so much that he took the place where he was punished for your sins because he didn't want you to be punished. He loved you so much that he rescued you from a hell that you no doubt deserve. Now again, there's nothing personal there. I also deserve hell. But Jesus gave me, he wants to give you his perfection. And the only way that he can do that is if you ask him, ask him to forgive you of your sins, ask him to give you his heart. Tell him that you want to be his, you want to go to heaven. And he'll meet you. And then the most beautiful thing about it is that you're going to find that you have nothing to be angry about. Even the way you title this angry listener instead of a name. Maybe if you'll consider Jesus, you can change angry to grateful grateful believer. That's what I'd be praying for, for you to be called. Thanks for the question. I really didn't take it personally. Here's a question from Angela. She says, Jesus told the woman caught in adultery to go and sin no more. How is that possible since we all sin? Um, Angela, Jesus was, was speaking in a, in a pretty specific context. She was caught in adultery, and here's what he was saying to her. He was saying, look, Okay, stop sinning. Stop doing these things. You need not to do that any longer. He also told um, the, the, the crippled man at the Pool of Bethesda, um, not the same day he healed him, but the following day he sought him out and said, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. So the truth is, we're flesh and we're going to keep sinning. We're going to keep messing up. But here's what he told this woman caught in adultery. He said, stop sinning. You're in this trouble because you sinned. I've forgiven you of your sins. Now stop it. Now that's the universal call to salvation, Angela. And God doesn't get angry with us, nor does he take our salvation away if we slip back into sin. But here's what he's telling this woman. I rescued you from death and now stop sinning so that you can live. And no doubt she did. No doubt that she did. So we we, will all sin. We're, We're imperfect human vessels. But when we sin willfully or intentionally, we need to repent and do so immediately so that we don't cause even more difficulties for ourselves. So yes, he told the woman to go and sin no more. Did she ever sin again? Of course she did. But Jesus is telling her really to leave her life of sin. And I think that's probably the best way to put it, Angela. Tell people to leave their life of sin. And then First John 1, 9 says that when we sin, we have an advocate. Here is how he says it. If we confess, that is to agree with God, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So I tell people all the time, Angela, to go and stop sinning. Just, Just don't do it anymore and uh, most of them don't listen but uh, this woman I'm sure did uh, even though um, she wasn't going to be perfect at all 3409585 for your live calls and questions kelly wants to know pastor on where in the bible does it say god won't give you more than you can handle well kelly it doesn't really say that now in first corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 It says that when you are tempted, the idea here is is, is no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. In other words, whatever you're going through, um, other people have been through it. And then it says this. It says, and God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted. You can also substitute the word tested. They're interchangeable in Greek. He won't let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can overcome it. That's what 1 Corinthians 10.13 says. Now, this doesn't mean that there won't ever come a situation in your life that you can't handle. Uh, Kelly, Paul and I were talking about this in another context yesterday. Um, I live my life like I can't handle anything. And I think that's where God really wants all of us. He wants us to understand that we truly cannot handle anything apart from Him. And that way, if we really understand that, then we'll stop trying to handle it. And then we'll depend on Him. So here's the thing you need to understand, Kelly, that even though you may feel like you can't handle something, you may feel completely overwhelmed, Nothing is too big for God. And so the thing we need to do is hand off those problems to Him. Lord, You handle this because I can't. I don't know how. And anything that we do in the power of God, then truly we, we won't ever be given more than we can handle. But everything, and this is what I'd like everybody to think about, everything that we try to handle on our own, frankly, is more than we can understand. So, Kelly, I hope that makes sense to you. Um, You know, when Christians sometimes unthinkingly say, well, God God knew about this. He won't give you more than you can handle. They're, They're missing the whole point of the passage of Scripture. So, yeah, there are things in my life I can't handle. And before they overwhelm me, then I want to remember to lay those things down at the foot of the cross. So, Kelly, I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much. Let's take our first call today. we got Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
1: Hi, Pastor Ron. It's happy Friday again.
2: <laughs> it comes quickly, <laughs> doesn't it, Cindy?
1: You know what it does? It just seemed like we were doing communion the other day. I cannot believe how fast this month has gone. But but you know what? I was reading. Now, I've been reading, like, when we're in Ephesians and we're in the chapter 4, I try to read that whole chapter every day as long as we're studying in it. And this one particular part, it just floors me every time I read it. Now, what what it made me think of was a long time ago, like way back in the late 60s, I was with a bunch of my friends and we were driving around in Big Sur and it was midnight. And whoever was driving pulled over, and we all got out of the car to look up at the sky. And there were so many stars. I I've never seen that many stars in my life. And I'm sure they're still up there. We just can't see them anywhere. And I don't know if there's anywhere on the planet we can go to ever see that many stars again. But but what um, what made me think of that was, this, was in chapter 4, verse 10. Now, I know it was talking about, you know, the Lord giving gifts. That's not the point that I'm... Um, I'm focusing on. The, the verse reads, He who descended is the very one who ascended, higher than all the heavens, and this is the part that really gets me, in order to fill the whole universe. And when I read that, I remembered looking up at the sky and seeing all those stars, and, and when I got outside, it almost knocked me over backwards, you know, how how many of them there were. And mm-hmm. that when we look up in the sky, we've got to remember that Christ fills that whole area. And every time I read this verse, it it just makes me fall on my face, almost, to think that He fills this whole area that, that we look up. And tonight it's going to be a blue moon, which is, I guess, it's a big deal because cool. there's two moons, two full moons in, in a month, so they call it a blue moon. But when we look up and see that, we need to remember that Christ is filling that whole area. So that's all it was. It wasn't really a question as much as it is that with that, just that little bit in order to fill the whole universe, those words uh, Mm -hmm. had affected me so strongly. So I'll let you chat about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I'm so happy, tell Mama Paula, I'm so happy the weather weather is beautiful for you guys. I know you probably didn't Mm -hmm. like that little bit of cold weather, which I thought it was delicious, but I'm just glad it's real pretty today for you guys.
2: Yeah, I'll get up. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. You know, Cindy, for such a spiritual woman, how could you, how you could be so wrong about cold weather? I just don't get it. Hey, a couple of things, you know, um, Cindy, you sound like David, you know, he would sit out under the stars as a shepherd boy and he would pin these songs and he would he would say that the heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. There's no nation or language where they're not understood. And he would just marvel at the same thing. And I think there's times when we need to to, to really consider the vastness. I, I like the word bigness. I made it up. But the bigness of God's creation. I love the fact that... that um, science my whole life, and this is one of my objections. People say, we listen to the science. Science has always been wrong. Science has always underestimated them. And the bigger the telescope, the more discoveries they have. And, and the scientists are shaking their head and, and and not being wise by understanding that there is a designer out there who made all of these things. I remember a night, Cindy, when I was at Bible College uh, at the Mountain and we went up, there's a place called the Rim of the World High School up there. And it's, it, it, I, don't, I personally, I don't think there's anything quite so dark as mountain dark. Uh, you can't see your hand in front of your face sometimes. And I remember being up on that, that rim, looking out over the, the valley. You can, you can see the whole uh, San Andreas Fault from, from that place as you look out. But then I looked up at the sky. And I've never seen stars like that just like you were talking about. I've never seen stars so big, so bright, seemingly so near. And I, too, was just stunned and all I could think about. Now, I'm not a nature guy, but all I could think about was, Lord, you did all of this. And I remembered God telling Abraham, Abraham, count the stars. If you can, count them, because that's how numerous your descendants are going to be. Thank you for that, Cindy. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Glenn. He says, I know that God doesn't change, so why aren't there miracles and demons being cast out like in the times of the Bible? Um, Glenn, when when the Bible talks about God is immutable. He does not change um, it's not talking about changing the way that he does things, the the, the way he deals with humans. We know, looking uh, at the history of mankind, God has always changed the way he approaches mankind. But when God is said not to change, that means his character, his nature. He is steadfast and immovable, unyielding, and because he's perfect, he doesn't have change. So that's what that means. But make no mistake, and that's one of the important things about truly learning to understand your Bible, you have to understand who God was speaking to and on what basis was God speaking to them. For example, when he gave the law to Moses, he made a covenant with Moses. He dealt with Moses, he dealt with Israel, his people, through the covenant of law. Well, when Jesus came, he canceled that covenant. He said, a new covenant i give unto you and that's the covenant of grace so god change it's god's plan this changing plan of god is something that we have to be aware of and and as we study our bibles if we're trying to apply what god said to israel to uh, our church culture now then we're going to get confused and we're going to misunderstand big parts of the bible uh, the the the, um, the the term here Theologically, it's dispensations. Um, God deals with different people in different ways at different times. But his character never changes. And all of the changes in the way he deals with people, Glenn, are changes designed to advance his plan and make it easier for people to find him. So that's very important. Now, with regard to the miracles and the casting out of demons, um... There are still some miracles that happen, but certainly not as prevalent as we find in the pages of the book of Acts, or Jesus, of course, when he was here in the gospel accounts. Those miracles were all sign gifts. God did these things so that people would know who he was. Now, here we are 2,000 years after the fact, and we don't need miracles to know who Jesus was. We have the empty tomb, the ultimate sign. So we don't need miracles. Again, God still does it, but I think a lot of times, Glenn, we, 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 we kind of think that the normal experience ought to be that we walk in the miraculous and, and blind people are given sight and crippled people can, can be healed and walk and uh, we can heal all kinds of diseases and cast out demons. But, but that's to misunderstand the purpose of a sign. A sign points to something, and when Jesus was here, all of those signs had been predicted by the Old Testament prophets that when the Christ came, he would do those things. That's why when John the Baptist began to doubt, he was in prison. He knew he was going to lose his head. And he began to doubt. You would, even though he knew who he was, you would doubt and I would doubt too. The circumstances just didn't seem to make sense to him. And he sent his disciples, John did, to Jesus. said, are you the one or should we be waiting for another? And Jesus' response was, you go tell John that the blind can see and the lame can walk. And that was just part of it. The, the, the lepers will be cleansed. John knew that that's what the Christ would do. And Jesus was basically saying to uh, to John through his messengers, he was saying, look, I'm doing the work that I have to do now. The rest will come later, but I'm doing the work that I have to do now. So, we ought not look for miracles. If God does choose to intervene, then that's wonderful. But it's just not the normal way that he works. And he didn't work that way after the book of Acts when he was validating the ministry of his apostles. When everybody knew and had heard the gospel had spread to the known world at the time, there was no need any longer for signs. So God didn't change. Just the way he works changes. Now, one other comment, Glenn, in a little bit of time we got left in this half. I think if we were to go to third world countries, go to countries where uh, Jesus isn't known, Uh, If we go to Muslim countries where uh, converting to Christ would likely cost someone their life, um, Jesus is still doing miracles. He's still appearing to people in visions and dreams. He's still doing miracles to show people that you might lose your life, but I'm the one that you can truly believe. And so he still gives signs where signs are needed. It's just here, especially in the West, We don't need those signs. We have all the signs in the world. We ignore them all the time. So God doesn't change, but he continually, Glenn, changes the way he works with the human race. So I hope that makes sense, dear Glenn. Thank you very much for the question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. This is the word to stand on for life. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Let's end the week with a bang. We'd love your calls. I'll be back in two minutes.
0: To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of our program, our final half hour, uh, not just of the week, but of the month of October. Boy, time is flying. 340-9585 for your live uh, calls. In questions, let's um, go to the phones. We have a first-time listener, anonymous, on line one. So you are on the air. Thank you for calling.
3: Oh, hi! Thank you for um, having me um, on your mm-hmm. on your program. Um, I just have a question that kind of bothers me. I think um, according to the scriptures, because you have believers who have different. Um, aspects of the scripture I guess or interpretation of the scripture Um, it's where when Paul is talking about marriage and he says that if an unbelieving spouse wants to stay with the wife a believing wife that she should stay but if he decides to like walk away or whatever the case that she is no more under condemnation that she's free to marry but only in the Lord but I guess mm-hmm. my question is, is that if that unbelieving spouse wants to stay, but the believing spouse decides to leave, and if the, believe, the the unbelieving husband wants to be reconciled, should that wife go back and be reconciled with that unbelieving husband? Because it's the believing wife that divorced
2: unbelieving husband. Does that make sense? Yeah. I know. Yes, it, yeah, it does make sense. Thank you. And uh, I appreciate the sense of the way you asked the question. A couple of things before we get into the passage of Scripture itself. Um, th- this applies equally. The believing wife is the example given, but, but in reverse, if it was a believing husband, it would be exactly the same principle. The idea is we want to win uh, the heart of the unbeliever, and if we stay, if we persevere, uh, I don't know. Uh, it says on my screen that this is the first time you've listened. Uh, my wife prayed for me for thirteen years, and she should have left me, but God put it in her heart to stay. And and uh, and this was kind of uh, her anthem, along with First Peter chapter three. Um, God loved me; He wanted wanted me to get saved. So she prayed for me for thirteen years. Before I got saved now, when it talks about if the unbeliever leaves, let him or her leave, um, God is simply saying that's that's freedom for you, an unequally yoked relationship is enormous pain, just enormous pain, and God says, "You know you never know they might get saved, you pray for them you you live a life following Christ." And maybe your faithfulness and your joy, even in the middle of that kind of pain, will win him or her over. But if he leaves, if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave, and then you're completely free. Not only free to to uh, to divorce, but should another man or woman come along um, uh, in the Lord, then you're free to remarry. And, And that's the only qualification he makes, that when you remarry, it must be to another believer. So you're completely free. Now, the question, as I understand it, is if the unbeliever leaves and then you go on with your life and then he wants to come back at some later point, should you bring him back? Um, The answer, certainly, if you were already remarried, would be no. You, You need to be faithful in the marriage you're in Um, And because you've married a believer, then that's a marriage that that is is not only ordained by God, but honors God. Um, If you're not remarried, and your ex-husband wants to come back and reconcile, um, there's no commandment that says you have to do that. Now, I think it would be a great thing. We've actually had four or five of those instances over the years here at Calvary Chapel where um, uh, one or the other of the the, the spouses blew it, went away, lived a a wild life, and then regretted it and came back. And and those women, or or men in our case, um, they received them back because that's what they wanted. And reconciliation uh, should always be our, our first goal. But there's no commandment, no requirement, if the unbeliever leaves and you've lived a life of pain, he goes, you divorce, then um, whether or not he wants to reconcile or, or the unbeliever wants to reconcile, now having become a believer, um, um, that's up to you. And, and it's a matter of prayer. It's a matter of, of finding the will in the heart of God. But, but please hear this. This is important. If the unbeliever leaves, remains an unbeliever. And now you divorce him, then you couldn't reconcile, because then you would once again be in an unequally yoked relationship, and the Bible says that, that if you remarry, you have to be married in the Lord. Does that make sense?
3: Okay, so you say, okay, because the, the, the issue was, he asked me for a divorce, and then mm-hmm. I asked him to, let's stay married, get counseling. And then when the divorce was at its very peak in he was like, okay, I made a mistake. I want us to stay married. Let's cancel the divorce. And I was so angry because I was previously married before. So I was really mm-hmm. confused if God even honored that marriage that marriage because of the first marriage. So I was really confused on the first marriage. So I was like, no, 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 maybe this is God' way giving me a way out, even though I really still love. The ex-husband, even though he's an unbeliever, I only divorced him because I was confused about the first marriage. And so he never really wanted to divorce me. He asked me to stop the divorce and I just let it go through, proceed with the paperwork. And he was like, please don't just don't. I made a mistake. So he always says that I'm the one who divorced him because he tried to retrieve the paperwork back. And I told him, no, let the divorce go through. Yeah. So from that and, moment for two years, he's been trying to be reconciled back to me, and I want to as well, but I know he's an unbeliever, and we've already divorced. Yeah. So that was my confusion.
2: Yeah, um, the 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 first marriage, forget, forget it for a moment. What we need to do when we, we live with the Lord is live in the circumstance we're in. We need to honor God where we are. Now, had I been your pastor, and you said... Um, 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 we 're going to get a divorce he 's an unbeliever um, um, but 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 now, just before the divorce goes through, he wants to reconcile. Um, my counsel to you would have been um, to, to to now go back and reconcile with an unbeliever would create a whole bunch of other problems so um, he initiated it. you let it go through, even though he tried to stop it um, that that's really abandoning the marriage uh, you simply resolved to 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 finish doing what you began to do i don't think there's anything wrong with that now if you're in a situation now where you want to reconcile with him um it's it's a really difficult step to take because he's an unbeliever and i think this would be a wonderful time for you to witness to your ex-husband by saying, look, and, and clearly you have feelings for him and, and I want to be really sensitive to that, but this would be the time for you to say to him, look, I'm never going to be with a man who doesn't love Jesus again. I mess things up. You mess things up, but but I don't want to mess anything up again, so I'm going to be obedient to what the Lord says and and he doesn't want me to be married to an unbeliever. And I can't tell you, Anonymous, how many times that kind of a stand for Jesus has convinced the one who is now trying to get back in, well, boy, she's really serious about a relationship with the Lord. And it gives God a chance, gives His Holy Spirit a chance to work on His unbelieving heart. But personally, my, my, my counsel, if I knew you, uh, and things are as they appear, my counsel would be don't reenter enter a marriage. You don't compound one mistake with, with a worse mistake. Um, don't compound uh, the first mistake by, by remarrying an unbeliever. At the same time, you can pray for him. You can share Jesus with him. You can let him know that you would be open to it. But then you just be really careful that the conversion, uh, if there is one, is genuine. So um, I, I realize why you did it. I realize the confusion the first time but but it, it just seems to me that you would be making things worse if you entered into a marriage relationship again with an unbeliever i think you'd be going through the same problems that you had i also think that this is a time because there's going to be details that we can't communicate on the radio i think this is a time where um you need to get some some pastoral counsel um go to your pastor uh, explain to him all of the details, and get some pastoral direction, and uh, and perhaps even enter into um, sort of marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling. Um, if if you're considering reconciliation, a lot of people get saved during marriage counseling or pre-marriage counseling. So I, I hope all of that makes sense to you. It's just without a little bit more detail, um, the, the the rule would be do not marry an unbeliever. God has more for you than that. Uh, He loves you. He wants you to live in peace. He wants you to live committed to serving him. And uh, I think telling the husband, the ex-husband who wants to reconcile with you, um, that's how serious you are about your relationship with Jesus Christ would be a wonderful witness uh, to him. So I I hope That, that, that...
3: Yes, sir, that does make sense, and um, I'm sorry to cut you off. I guess there were, there are a lot of other personal circumstances that, you know, that say I probably need to stay married to him that I shouldn't, I can't say on air, but it's just a a lot of other things, and I don't have a church home here. Um, I've actually visited your church. This is Teneal
2: Tassaran. Oh, hi, Teneal.
3: <laughs> I was like, I might as well just say my name. Yes, this is T. Okay. So. <laughs> yes, sir. So, um, there's just a lot of circumstances, and you've met Dwight. He's come to your, um, he's come there a couple of times, and he is definitely into a different religion than what we believe in. And, um, but there are a lot of other circumstances surrounding, surrounding um, why I just feel like I probably should stay married to him that I just can't say on the air that I would will be willing to share with you face to face. Okay. It's just a lot of things involved. I'm just gonna start crying now.
2: Tanya, why don't you uh, contact Paula and uh, and and we'll set up a time where where maybe the four of us can talk.
3: Thank you so much.
2: Okay. God bless you, sweetheart. Bye bye. Painful. When she said there, there are other details, there are always other details in things like this. And so our anonymous caller is a, a young woman I've only met a time or two. But um, I just hate to see that kind of pain. Um, but just general word for, for everybody in the audience, unequal, unequally yoked relationships are pain. And getting back into one that you're about to get out of is, uh, is never a good idea. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Natalie, a practical one. I like this one, Natalie. It says, when you confess your sins to someone else, how detailed should you be? Um, Natalie, the only one who needs details is the one who doesn't need details. I hope that makes sense. Uh, you can confess your sins to God. He knows everything. But when you're confessing your sins to others... Um, you don't need to be detailed. They don't need, they don't need information. Um, if if you, you're, you're confessing because you've sinned against them, we'll be very specific. Don't say, well, if I hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. No, say, I'm sorry because I said this and it hurt your feelings. Please forgive me. So that's important. But I think this idea of i got to confess my sins, i got to give details to the women's group or details to the men's group, um, that's nonsense. Um, God knows every sin, he knows if your heart is genuinely repentant. So when we confess, it's not, okay, Lord, on Tuesday I did this, on Wednesday I did this. Um, keep short sure accounts with the Lord. When you sin, say, God, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. And then there's no need for any more detail than that. When you're going to other people, and the only reason you would do that is if you sinned against them, or if you needed their help or support or counsel through something, then give them the minimum amount of detail that you can. This idea that we've got to be so open and um, just sort of vomit all of our junk out um, is very cultural, but it's not something at all that uh, that we should worry about. So don't be too detailed. Let's go to Jeff calling on line one from San Antonio. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Hi, Pastor. I'm going to add that to my Pastor Ron quotes. Vomit all the junk out. That's just that's so so true.
2: I probably should be more careful what I say, Jeff.
4: No, 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 don't no. You go for it, Pastor Ron. You go for it. I love it. Um, yesterday was a was a very rich conversation there with Mama Paula, and and just um, I, I'm calling because I wanted to ask you if you would uh, kind of revisit what she was talking about a little bit with uh, risk taking. And I had a comment about it, especially with uh, our cultural Christians today, who think that really God's will is something that conveniently fits into their life. So when they're praying for God to show them what they should be doing in ministry or something, you know, it's oftentimes it's more, you know, tailored around the way their life already is. And like when I hear the two of you talking, following God's will and taking risks, uh, and I think of those in the Bible who were called by God, uh, it is more than often that we are moved out of our comfort zone. Am I not not incorrect on that? I mean, obviously for you to come to San Antonio, you
2: were
4: totally out of your comfort zone and had no clue, but there have been so many other things in your testimony, too, that that have been completely, you know, way out of the norm. And and to me, that's really the way that God works, because then we have to depend on him 100% uh, completely to, to, to guide us through it. So you go, Pastor Ron. I'll hang up. Okay. I love you. Right.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. God bless. You know, I would say God always takes you out of your comfort zone. Uh, our Jesus is not a big fan of comfort zone. I always think of of Peter um, being being bid by Jesus to come out to him on the water. That's a risk. I mean not only is it a risk, I mean men can't walk on water, but but all of the other the, the other 11 disciples are going to going to think he's crazy and they're going to they're going to be critical of him. You can't walk on water. What are you doing? When in reality they're the ones playing it safe. Peter's once said, Lord, bid me to come out to the water. If it's you, bid me to come to you on the water. Well, all 12 of them should have come out when Jesus said, it's me. But they didn't. It always requires a risk. And taking a step of faith is always designed to cause us to rely completely on the power of God. And when we're comfortable, we don't do that. And the idea that, well, if I'm in the will of God, things are going to make sense or things are going to be easy. One of the things that Christians say all the time, Jeff, is, well, you know, I'm waiting for God to give me peace on something. And typically when they say that, what they mean is, well, I'm going to wait until I'm not afraid. Or I'm going to wait until there's no risk. I'm going to wait until I have the money. I'm going to wait until circumstances fall into place. Uh, Jesus never calls us like that. He calls us to take risks. I said on the program yesterday that the only safe place is to be in the risky place with Jesus. When we think we're safe, when things are, make sense to us, there's no risk involved. It's easy to believe when everything makes sense. But Jesus says, will you trust me? And our lives, and I think that's what Paula was really trying to get to yesterday, is is, is simply that that Our life, day by day, has been taking risks to do what God has told us to do. And there's a lot of risks. People think we're crazy. People think, well, you can't do that. Nobody does those kind of things. I think Jesus is crying because too many people won't trust him enough to do the unthinkable. Now, there's a line that we have to walk between foolishness and faith. I understand that. But the most foolish thing that any of us can do when Jesus tells us to do something, the most foolish thing is not to do it. And see, in our walk, and this is what Paul was explaining yesterday, Jeff, in our walk, um, God started out asking us small things that were huge things at the time. Now we look back on and say, oh, you know, that's little baby stuff. But man, they were huge things at the time. But because he asked us, we did it, we saw the faithfulness of God over and over and over again, that as those steps of faith got bigger and bigger and riskier and riskier, it got to the point where we thought, well, we'd be crazy to say no. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it doesn't make sense. But I want to see God's hand move. So those risks are essential to our faith, and there's simply no such thing as a comfort level when it comes to stepping out in faith. Great, great comment, Jeff. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to line two and talk with Ray on line two from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for holding. You're on the air.
5: All right. I'm glad to be able to talk to you uh, because uh, I tried the other day and when it was a little more pertinent, but my phone was so bad off, it <laughs> finally got fixed.
2: <laughs> oh, good.
5: But, uh, uh, regurgitate might be a different way to put that. <laughs> 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 and uh, this goes back a few days, uh, and you've had the same roundabout question uh, this month a few times, and I thought, well, let me see if I can remember how to put this. Uh, that uh, You've been asked, well, was, was Jesus... God and man, and you've explained that well, and, you know, well, on the cross, did did the man die, or did God die, and you've mm-hmm. gotten through that a bit, but uh, let's go back further. When, when everybody, since the fall, the apple, it, so to speak, uh, in the garden, um, we've all been born with a sin nature, and you have said over numerous times that, well, he was tempted to sin, but, or, I forget exact your your words, I'm trying to get this in before we're out of time, and I wondered, well, when when Jesus was born, did he have, because he was completely man and God, but didn't that include at that time he would be born with a sin nature, and I'm going to hang up and listen.
2: Okay, thank if that you. That makes
5: any sense.
2: It does make sense, um, Ray. What I what I typically say is Jesus was tempted uh, in all ways by sin, just like we are, but he was never tempted to sin, and that distinction is critical. Jesus, the the theological term is the peccability of Jesus. Uh, if Jesus could sin, um, then then he's disqualified from being our Savior. But remember, he was born. Um, of a virgin the seed of sin or the sin nature passes through the Father and since God was the Father the Holy Spirit is the one who impregnated Mary um, he was born without a sin nature that's why we can say he was tempted by sin but never tempted to sin because when when you and I when we're tempted by sin it's usually something we want to do well Jesus to him being born without a sin nature. Sin was um, a source of disgust to him. You know, there would be, when when Satan said, you know, tell these stones or or make these stones turn into bread, um, Jesus would never consider doing that because being disobedient to his father is the last thing that he would ever think of. So um, he had no sin nature because his father was God. He was human, He was flesh, but without the sin nature you and I have. Now the good news about that, Ray, is that uh, when we exchange these old sin-worn-out bodies for our new heavenly bodies, and Paul says, and John says the same thing, that, that, that we'll be like him. Our lowly bodies will be like his glorified body. Well, this means that we don't have any problem From this point forward, once we we leave this old body and inherit our new glorified bodies, we too will be like Jesus. Sin will be disgusting to us. There's no possibility of falling. There's no possibility of messing up. Uh, Sin will be like, what were we thinking? Who would ever even want to do that? Because, Because the sin nature is going to be taken out of us. And I look so forward to that moment. I look so forward to that moment. Let me close the program today by reminding you that um, next week, and I'll maybe talk about this briefly on Monday as well, um, Tuesday is the day we vote. Uh, I would ask Christians to be in prayer for that day. Um, Not so much who's going to win, but just pray that the Spirit of God would move, and, uh, and, um, and I like to call it a dreadful fear of God would move on the hearts of these men and women, regardless of the party, that, that, that are running for our votes. But participate in the process. Vote according to the heart that Jesus is giving you. Not how you feel, but what you know about the character of Jesus. But vote and pray for our leaders, those who would be our leaders, pray without ceasing. Have a wonderful weekend. When you go to church, be available to the Lord. May he bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'll be back next week. Bye-bye.